If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you have the best weekend possible. Uh, we are looking at the virus rising in this country, but also a lot of optimism because of the vaccine. We also are looking at a lot of sports. It's heating up in the NFL. They were able to pull it off. College football still dragging it out and uh, grinding it out, and I appreciate that. Uh, so we're going to continue to talk about that, as well as our founders, Lynn Cheney. Uh, she's the author, co-author of 12 books, including this one, The Virginia Dynasty, Four Presidents, and the Creation of the American Nation with this war on history. Also with this uh, reevaluation of our founding fathers, it's important for someone to put it all together. Lynn Cheney, the former second lady of the United States, will be here. We also talked to her a little about Liz Cheney and her rising star amongst Republicans. She turned down a seat in the Senate. It would have been a layup for her in Wyoming. Uh, yet I think her pathway maybe to run for president in the future might be through the House. At least that's what her dad thinks, and that's what she thinks. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Tony Blinken had long been considered a front runner for the Secretary of State position. He's been working with the president-elect on global issues and previously served as Deputy Secretary of State during part of the Obama administration. The Biden team begins to roll out its foreign policy positions, and they'll be front and center this week along with the policy. The pushback is already getting a warning shot from China, which I hope is not heated, and their offer for a new relationship better not taken. Number two. The conduct of the president's legal team has been a national embarrassment. I've been a supporter of the president's. I voted for him twice. But elections have consequences. And we cannot continue to act as if something happened here that didn't happen. Uh, and I have to wholeheartedly agree. The Trump's legal attack on the election results are about to hit a certification brick wall as legal losses pile up. And Sidney Powell is dismissed. It's time to begin the transition and for the Trump to think about 2024 and Georgia in two months. Number one. In Los Angeles County, starting on Wednesday, restaurants will be open only for pickup or delivery. The business has already been devastated with many restaurants closing or cutting employees' hours. There you go. COVID-19, it's a story of hope and hate. The hope is clearly vaccines. is now a third option queues up and to hit the market soon in a first shot in two weeks. Hate Nationwide haphazard restrictions and lockdowns are killing business and lifestyles and lives. Not the combination we are looking for. I thought when this first happened, we realized the total lockdown was dumb, was stupid. It was an overreaction. So now we have a sense of therapeutics. We got this vaccine. We know how to treat. Not everybody goes on a ventilator. So you would think we would stop this, but it hasn't stopped these lockdowns. And there are protests in Huntington Beach where people just showed up 
and had a party. And then there were protests outside the mayor's house in Los Angeles because they're wiping out all indoor dining, wiping out all the gyms. You really can't do anything at all, including go to school, unless you're the governor's kid and you go to a private school, who, by the way, is under quarantine now. There was a protest up in Buffalo. They threw out the health officials that tried to close a business down. And now they're going to start closing down upper Manhattan in New York City, as well as parts of Long Island and Staten Island. So... The economy in this area, in this state, that it's on its knees, you would think they'd find some way to keep it going. Instead, they just try to continue to crack down. And I can't believe that people are even standing of it, standing for it for this long. To me, it is stunning, especially if I'm a politician. I'm saying I'm going to hold the line until I can get my state vaccinated, find out the lines of senior citizens first, and then get going. But they continue to lock people down and close the schools. When we know even doctors are admitting what Trump knew the whole time, and that is keep the schools open. They're safer there. Dr. Tom Inglesby with Chris Wallace, Cut 12. It's hard to have universal rules. I I don't think we can go that far. But in places where they've put mitigation procedures in place and community transmission in that particular school district is relatively low, I do think those are safer environments. The problem is that now we are seeing transmission levels across the country that are higher than they've ever been since the start of this pandemic. So we are kind of entering in uncharted territory in many places. And that's what's, that has not stopped California from offering restrictions. And as I mentioned, the protesters in the streets, uh, in-person dining, including outdoor dining, now is stopped. You could just go to takeout, and you could only do it until 10 o'clock. And they said they're going to come down with even more restrictions. There was that protest outside Garcetti's uh, house. Okay, fine. In Los Angeles County, the state's uh, largest, with 10 million people, they announced Sunday all dining, as I mentioned, wineries, bars, all cut out. Done. Think about this. So they put together this task force about six months ago. Listen to who's on it. Tim Cook, Janet Yellen, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Governor, excuse me, billionaire Tom Steyer heads it up. A hundred business leaders. They did nothing. They couldn't do anything because these politicians wouldn't let them. They came up with nothing innovative. Bob Iger was there, Disney executive, and he quit because he says, wait, you have, I'm giving you plans to open up Disney and you won't even listen to me. I quit. So you even had business leaders who want to be in California, try to open up California, and they don't want to hear of it. Now, when I told you about New York owners kicking out the the health department, here it is. It was on the Daily Wire. It became apparent on Friday that some business owners in Buffalo, New York, way upstate by Canada, have had enough of the arbitrary coronavirus-related restrictions. Uh, Cuomo, they are killing. They said Cuomo's uh, establishment is killing their establishment, and they'd gathered uh, athletes on Lee's gym in, in Orchard Park, and a number of business owners refused to comply with health department officials. So they ignored and kicked out the Erie County Sheriff's Department. These cops, they're not the bad guys. They have to go and tell people you can't have more than 10 people for Thanksgiving. They don't want to do it. They have to go and take liquor licenses. They don't want to do it. But they also don't want to lose their job when these politicians say, I hold the future in our, in, in our hands. In Nevada, Governor Sislik uh, issues three-week statewide pause. Really? Have you paused it on rent? Have you paused it on mortgages? Have you paused it on lease rates? No walk-ins? 
Reservations mandated in bars and restaurants. 50% capacity is now 25%. Nightclubs and brothels remain closed. So I'm surprised that brothels are remain closed. I didn't even know you were allowed to have a brothel. I thought that was just a nickname for something done illegally. Uh, I got to travel more. Masks need to be worn indoors unless actively eating or drinking. Gyms and studios dropped to 25%. Private gatherings from 250 to 50. Thanksgiving, no more than 10. Two households max. Can you believe they're telling us how many people they have for Thanksgiving? You can't do that. We're never, it's not going to happen. You can't tell us to stay off the beach. Walk around, spread people out, give people warnings, but they have to make their own decisions. This is nuts. Victor Davis Hanson was on with Mark Levin last night. Cup 14. It takes four or five years for a vaccination. We've never had the rapidity that we're going to get these vaccinations in. We're told that we're suffering singularly, unlike Europe. Look at the deaths per million compared to the U.K., or Italy, or Spain, or Belgium. We're either better, or I don't want to use that word in this context, but we're doing as well or better than Europe. And then when you look at the criticism of them from Joe Biden and look at it in detail, it turns out that Joe Biden's uh, COVID strategy is pretty much copied from Donald Trump. Yeah, he's got no strategy. We're going to have more testing through the Defense Defensive Production Act. No kidding. That's what the president did. But when he told these assays companies to go to PPE from what they were doing, they did it on their own. They didn't need to be mandated. I want to take some calls next, one 408 7669 But I do want to talk about the president's effort to overturn the election. Now, if there's fraud going on, I'm sure there was. I mean, these vans that pulled up in Detroit, I'm sure it happened. In Philadelphia, forcing the observers out, I'm sure that's true. But it's just not enough to overturn the election. And for the president of the United States not to realize how good he did in four years and how great his chances are of coming back in four years because Joe Biden is not a good leader. He's a terrible campaigner. He's a horrible speaker. He's barely got control of the House. He's about to lose control of the Senate. He, If he does lose control of the Senate, he's going to lose control of the House because Kevin McCarthy's within a whisker of it. So if you look at what's happening right now, the best bet for this country is for the president to say, all right. I am very unhappy with the way this was conducted. I think mail-in voting was my undoing, but I got to step aside because the court cases they're putting forward are a joke. The, the, the press conference we saw on Thursday with Rudy Giuliani was terrible. Sidney Powell was so outrageous and unsubstantiated that they were, the president asked her just to get off that team. And now Rudy Giuliani's emailing me four times a day asking for money as he flies around private with his cadre of 12. Uh, That's not going to happen. Now, Governor Christie, who's been a staunch uh, logical defender of the president, said this yesterday, cut 17. They allege fraud outside the courtroom, but when they go inside the courtroom, they don't plead fraud and they don't argue fraud. If you're unwilling to come forward and present the evidence, it must mean the evidence doesn't exist. The country is what has to matter the most. As much as I'm a strong Republican and I love my party, it's the country that has to come first. What's happened here is, quite frankly, the conduct of the president's legal team has been a national embarrassment. I've been a supporter of the president's. I voted for him twice. But elections have consequences. And we cannot continue to act as if something happened here that didn't happen. You have an obligation to present the evidence. The evidence has not been presented. And what he's saying is, if it was a strong case, he'd be there. 500 votes in, uh, in Florida, I'd be there. I would uh, be there, true, absolutely. But mail-in voting was the key in June, absolutely. Taking down and not running ads in September for some reason after the first debate was dumb. 
dumb. You had money. You didn't know how to spend it. That's what the campaign. The president closed out like Reggie Jackson in October. He almost took it all. And yes, the Democrats were over the top with this Russia investigation. And I will never forgive anybody involved in that, nor should the president. But I don't think you should double down on that delay. And I just think it's time to move to move on and focus on Georgia. And I look at some things that already happened for the president. What did the president say? You have to keep schools open. Now, what do the scientists say? The president was right. You have to keep schools open. What did the president promise? A vaccine is going to control the virus. That's it. He promised a vaccine in the fall. Guess what's happening? A vaccine in the fall. Guess what the president did for four years, 24-7 access, whether it's a tweet, whether it's interviews, whether it was adversarial press, whether it was walking out of the White House and going to question after question after question. And the press access was phenomenal. And guess what they're getting now? Almost nothing. A tough question is ignored or never called on. He has lists. They're already starting to say how much more uh, accessible the president was. And for Hispanics and black men who the president was told he alienated, they were flat out wrong. He doubled the amount that they got in African-American men, young men, and Hispanics. You know the numbers. So meanwhile, this is just the groundwork that almost got on the House. They kept the Senate. And the controversy around the president, the pandemic, and the Mueller investigation, and the impeachment, for now, was too much. But in a few years, it's not going to be. And what the president could do is say, listen, I got problems with this election in a lot of different states, as you know. But for the good of the country, I'm going to move on. But I'm going to announce right now I'm running again in 2024. What do you think? one 866 Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We used to go supervise elections around the world, and we were we were the most respected uh, you know country uh, w- with respect to elections. And now we're beginning to look like uh, we're a banana republic. Um, it, it, it's it's time uh, for them to stop the nonsense. It just gets more bizarre every single day, and and frankly, I'm embarrassed that more people in the party aren't speaking up. 
Well, for you, Larry Hogan's always been a critic of the president, didn't vote for him this time, didn't vote for him last time. And guy, he was not asked about how he bought all those South Korean uh, tests, and they all ended up being a billion-dollar waste of money. So not many people call him over the carpet on that. It's easy for him to sit back and be a critic and say everything got uh, is, is being done the right way in Maryland. And then when things surge back, he blames the White House. But he did come out yesterday and say, why is the White House waiting so long uh, to admit they lost? Because— they have not presented their case in court. I think in 36 states, they lost 24 cases in 36 separate states. So it, it's looking bleak, and now certification is going to begin. Let's go to the phones now. Eric, WOKV. Time to move on, Eric? Brian, you stink, man. You stink. They got evidence. They ain't even been in court for that stuff. Yeah, they have. Dude, no, they haven't, dude. Not for the big case. Not for the. Oh, really? One. They've been starting with the slow. Yeah. They've been starting with the loser cases You're on purpose. A You're a rhino. Get on the team. Quit. What quit team? Flopping. I can't. I. I don't. I don't. I don't subscribe to fiction. We're this is this is Rudy Giuliani upping his fees, getting paid by by donors to put cases together that don't exist. Your uh, colleagues are telling you, bro. Who? Yeah, you think. Who? Tell me what's the strongest case. What's the, tell me, make the case that Rudy's not making. Make the make the case that Rudy's not making. Yeah, we're not going. Right, okay, that, let make the case that Rudy's not making. Explain it to me. Yeah, they will. They will. They're not going to give it to you. Why not? That's not how you do that. So they that's wanted to lose. They wanted to lose twenty four straight cases. That's not how you do that, bro. It's right? Really? Yet. How many have you tried? Not yet. How, how many elections have you overturned by losing every case? Oh, well, you do, do, well, I definitely didn't flip-flop. You should be ashamed. Shame no, there's you, nothing there. You, you feel Why better not? after that press conference? It's gone. All right. Uh, Phil, listen, 94.3, the talker. Hi, Brian. I, I can sense the frustration in his voice. I'm not saying he's right, but just this mass mail and in, in voting that we had, it's just... You could smell the corruption on it. It seems rife with corruption. It's the, it's the year 2020. Uh, we're the most advanced nation on earth. We should be able to have secure electronic voting where you verify your identification. Now, now people are frustrated because it seems like we're going into this realm where uh, there could be mass irregularities or mass fraud. And after the election's already said and done, it's the Republicans' job to try to find all the fraud, find all the irregularities. And if we don't do it by the allotted time, the Democrats win the election. And that seems to be the direction we're, we're going in. It's becoming an acceptable way to have I mean, elections. Well, I'll put it this way. It is the way we had it. Now, he knew in June, to his credit, that mail-in ballots were going to be trouble. But what he should not have done is told everyone not to do it because then he lost the total mail-in vote and maybe people didn't vote at all. So he knew it was going to be a problem to his credit. But right now, if the president wants four more years, it's going to be in four years. And he's got to help the Georgia Senate candidates sit back and watch a lot of his policies come to fruition and start working. And when they get to reversed and you see that Joe Biden economic and foreign policy principles are an absolute disaster, they'll be begging for four more years of Donald Trump. And he's already transformed the party. He should allow himself to say, hey, listen. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. I'm not happy with this result. I'm not happy with the way this went down. But for the good of the country, I'm going to step aside and I'm going to focus on uh, Georgia. And then, of course, as Pat Toomey said, we don't, he's not allowing people to focus on all the things he accomplished because this fight's going on with almost no substance. Jim, listen on Coil in Omaha. Jim. Yes, Brian. Uh, uh, listen to you all the time. Great job, buddy. Hey, uh, it almost seems like this is the same thing that happened to Winston Churchill. Now, I don't know. You might correct sure. me. But it seemed like the same thing happened to Winston Churchill, you know, and, and then he came back. Absolutely. And listen, this president is like no other. He has never been more vibrant. He's the same guy at 74. They'll be the same guy at 74 that he was at 64 and 54. There's no difference. So he'll come back. He'll have unprecedented power. He's not turning over a wounded party. He is actually turning over a bolstered party thanks to him. When we come back, Lynn Cheney, uh, she's going to talk about our founding father, the Virginia dynasty. And get us, uh, give us a sense of what the foundation of this country is all about. Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Interested in it? Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is an interesting thing. He may never concede. He doesn't have to concede. Uh, the thing about the American Constitution is that it doesn't actually require the sitting president to do anything one way or the other. On January 20th, Donald Trump's term ends and Joe Biden's, I believe, will begin. Uh, the president doesn't have to do anything. He can't interfere with that. Uh, so that's John Yu, used to work in the Bush administration, talking about what the Constitution says. Uh, Lynn Cheney knows all about that. She's a best-selling author, historian herself. Her new book is called The Virginia Dynasty, Four Presidents, and the Creation of the American Nation and How It All Started. And I was just wondering if you're getting deja vu through all of this because what you experienced when uh, you and your husband were vice president trying to see if you beat Al Gore or not in Florida. And constitutionally, you do know the history about this changing, this handing over of power. Well, deja vu a little in that uh, things drag on and on, but I think John Yu is is correct um, that uh, the president doesn't have to concede, but we're going to have a new president on January 20th, so this is a little bit more defined than uh, uh, the situation was in 2000, where, you know, we were just sort of hoping somebody would decide this and finally the Supreme Court stepped in. Yeah, we did. And and before we get your book, your book is now out. It's called uh, Virginia Dynasty, Four Presidents and the Creation of the American Nation. But I just want to get your take. Uh, in, in history, uh, there's one family and two presidents who didn't show up for the handover of power. And it is John Adams and John Quincy Adams, right? Yeah. It, uh, the John Adams and Jefferson uh, one is uh, something that was in my book. So, um I am familiar with it. Uh, and part of the problem was that uh, Jefferson was John Adams' vice president. It was the first time in history that uh, men of different parties occupied the uh, uh, presidency and the vice presidency. 
So feelings between them weren't good. And Jefferson really began to uh, organize an opposition. So you can see why Adams was mad. He was also mad because uh, things uh, he had an October surprise. Alexander Hamilton, who was uh, a member of the same party as his, Alexander Hamilton wrote a letter saying how bad John Adams was and uh, how he didn't think he should be president. So he was a very bitter man. Yes, and they played such vital roles in American history. It also shows uh, they ended up being uh, friends again. Never saw each other again, but used friends together, uh, writing letters back and forth that are that are still been published and been out. So, Lynn, when did you realize that this would be a great topic, the Virginia dynasty, looking at Monroe, Washington, Jefferson, and Madison? Well, when uh, I was working on the Madison book, it was clear how uh, dependent he was on the friendship uh, with the other two, or the relationships is better to put it, Um, and uh, indeed how they were dependent upon him. So it it just seemed a good title. It was a little bit about... uh, group dynamics, uh, how people interact with one another, how they affect one another. And, you know, part of it is when you have a a high-pressured group like this, high-powered group, all of these intellects, they they vie with one another. And uh, so that makes a a difference. I love the way in your open you describe them. And the first person to really humanize the Founding Fathers, Harry Truman wrote a book about history, not about him. And he talked about Jefferson the way you did. He's a tall guy, long-limbed with reddish hair. Madison, more <laughs> black all the time, kind of a little guy. James Monroe, the last of the Virginia dynasty, right? And the last president to wear knee breeches. But this guy, <laughs> totally underappreciated James. I know you love James Madison, but James Monroe, too, a war fighter, an ambassador, and a future president, and a former uh, secretary of war. And then George Washington always had a problem with the fact that he was great-looking, he was strong, a great horseman, but he always felt somewhat uh, unworthy because he didn't have the education of the others. Can you explain that, even in researching it? Well, it's true. He called it his uh, defective education, uh, meaning he hadn't gone to the uh, schools that uh, were so highly regarded that the other three men did. He, though— tried very hard to make up for it with uh, self-education. Part of the problem was that uh, Washington was really an 18th century man. He was uh, a man of the times when the leaders of the world were monarchs. And he understood fully that this uh, country was going to be a republic and not a monarchy. But his actions were old-fashioned. He didn't like people to disagree with him. And uh, when they did, he regarded it as somewhat uh, subversive. He, in fact, um, uh, wanted people to elect their politicians, elect their representatives, and then go home and let them be until it was time to be elected again. And neither Madison nor Jefferson nor Monroe thought this was a decent way to run a republic. So the, the breach was their building that uh, set up the animosity not only between Washington and Monroe, but the other two as well. So you talk about how it, be- how it came, their education, how they felt about this idea of freedom and liberty, how they were different but exceptional. Lynn, when you were done with this piece, looking at these four men gathered in so close in proximity, in the right place at the right time, in the right era, do you ever look back and say, 
is this just a coincidence that gave birth to this huh? former super, this current superpower? Well, you know, if Washington hadn't been so angry with the other three, I'm pretty sure he would have uh, said it was Providence taking a hand. Because it's just it's astonishing to have this kind of leadership come from a relatively small area in, um, in a place that was regarded as a backwater by most of the world. If they hadn't been talented, you know, uh, this couldn't have happened. They had innate talent. But they also had opportunity, just the most amazing opportunity to build a new kind of country, one where the ideals of uh, liberty and justice were, were at the base. Now, as I point out in the book, um, they did not uh, they did not have the uh, luxury ability. That's a much better word. They couldn't they couldn't figure out how to uh, get rid of slavery entirely as, as justice demanded, and so they they lived these lives of contradiction. But if you think about it, I, I, most of us would certainly be glad they did. They went ahead and established this amazing and remarkable country, uh, despite the fact that uh, they were living lives that that contradicted its ideals. One of the interesting things I discovered while writing this book was that both Washington and uh, Frederick Douglass, I'm sorry, Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, praised them for expressing the ideals. You know, both men were fully aware, of course, that... uh, they held people in bondage, the Virginians did, but they thought that the ideals they expressed were so important and uh, used them to uh, get rid of slavery, to finally accomplish what the Virginians didn't. So I just hope you enjoyed that conversation. To humanize these founding fathers, I think, is so uh, incredibly key. Next, when we come back, we're going to talk about slavery. Uh, why it's in our conversation today, what Thomas Jefferson's view of slavery were, I think it's going to surprise you, and then what these uh, men did back then and what they all had in common. They had rivalries, but they had one goal, keep Amer- make America and then make sure it remains great. This is how they did it. This is who they were. Back in a moment with Lynn Cheney and more on her, uh, her daughter. In our quest to be maybe president. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, you know I have a passion towards history. That's why I love speaking to uh, Lynn Cheney so much. She has uh, written a bunch of books uh, from children's to adults, all about our founding fathers and how we all got started. She also talks uh, blatantly about America's original sin, and that is slavery and Thomas Jefferson. And although he had slaves, and obviously if you go to Monticello, you hear all about it, he never thought it was the right thing to do and thought for sure uh, we were heading towards um, abolishing them. And it started in the north and would work its way down south, culminating in 1865 with the end of the Civil War. So now is more from Lynn Cheney as she looks at American history from a unique perspective, the bonding of our founding fathers. So you, you write in your book, Jefferson called slavery a sin against God, a fatal stain on Virginia. But keep in mind, he was born into it. His pa- his dad had slaves. And to oh, keep, sure. yeah, to keep this... Uh, plantation going. I'm not making an excuse, but you got to put yourself. This is this was the economic model. So they're thinking, how do I get rid of this at the same time? 
not destroy the country and my personal economy. And what I thought was heartening, too, is that Frederick Douglass doesn't say that we have to redo the Constitution and redo our focus. We have to live up to the Constitution, right? He says there was nothing in the Constitution that justified one being being owned by another. And I find that heartening that a man born a slave who escaped to freedom and became this great figure wasn't was able to look at our country from five ten thousand feet, for lack of a better term. No, it was a, a, an amazing observation and is uh, too seldom uh, pointed out today that uh, the very uh, words of the Declaration and the uh, structure of the Constitution uh, were entirely forward-looking. These men were, or they were creating a society better than their own, preparing the way for society better than their own, and you know, that that should be pointed out more often than it is. I appreciate your uh, your explanation. No, you did it. I stole it from you. Um, <laughs> so I, I just wanted, the last thing I wanted to bring up is you know so much about Madison, but Madison wanted to leave a, a, a thought as he was dying. He wanted it read after his death, almost from the grave, almost like wishing us the best, as if the country has to survive. Do you want to give us an idea of what of what Madison, why that was important to him? Well, by this time, of, he died in the 1830s, and in the 1820s, the Missouri Compromise had really lined up uh, the North against the South. Uh, there was no longer any uh, mixing of ideology. All uh, of it was on one side alike and on the other side alike. And he was well aware that uh, this was this was the situation that would uh, would bring on war if somehow um, his con- countrymen didn't uh, heed the advice to uh, to love the Union and uh, to work to preserve it. It was advice, of course, that uh, was futile in the end. Um, slavery was uh, such a ghastly um, practice that you know the North couldn't stand it, and as you say, the South. Uh, was was entrapped in it, and they couldn't figure out how to get out of this uh, net they were caught in. And uh, we didn't end up with this horrible war, but one which created a better nation. Yeah, the quote, the advice nearest to my heart and deepest in my convictions is that the union of the states be cherished and perpetuated. And that was his dying wish because mm-hmm. he worried about what was coming, and he was 100 uh, percent right. But Lincoln citing the founding fathers as he tried to, uh, you know, recalibrate the country and get us back on track. So when you did a really important story, because a lot of people really have to go and reevaluate our foundation, because I always thought I think about people like you when they're pulling down statues and judging historical figures. They took down Frederick Douglass's statue. They took down Lincoln's statue, Teddy Roosevelt's statue, let alone the Confederate generals. What are your thoughts about the way we're suddenly looking at historical figures? If they're not perfect by today's standards, they should be torn down. You know, sometimes I think that people don't even understand why they're tearing them down. Now, others say, oh, they held slaves, got to tear those down. But I think there's just such a high degree of uh, not knowing uh, the truth of American history. And uh, it's kind of... uh, you know, it's the behavior of the Taliban, to be truthful, uh, where, where you just want to destroy anything of the past because you think that you, know, you have it in your power to create a world that is so different. And uh, I don't, to create a world that's so different, I believe, would, would rob us of the ideals that the, uh, 
that the founders propagated. And lastly, Liz, just to bring you up to today, I read this big story about uh, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, back uh, your daughter, uh, back in leadership mm-hmm. with the Republicans who now are within on the razor's edge of taking back the majority. And her decision not to run for the Senate in Wyoming, which would have been a layup for her, and yet working, kind of envisioning what your husband, the former vice president, did, who thought about running for president. Maybe perhaps her quickest path towards running for president would be through leadership in the House. Do you believe that she is presidential material, and do you think she wants it? Well, I, I of course, think she is, um, but it's not the sort of thing she goes around talking about. Um, she's concerned right now with uh, being as good a congressman woman as she uh, can be for the people of Wyoming and and and, and being able to uh, have a platform, I think, is important to her from which you can talk about uh, national security and other issues that uh, you think are of uh, high concern. You saw early in her that she had the acumen for it. Um, and the, the, I heard about this, but I also read about it, that she was w- with your, your husband and uh, so immersed in his career and in the policies. They almost, they almost mind-melded in their beliefs. <laughs> Probably true. Not, not having been part of that mind-meld and writing about the 18th century, I can't swear to it. But uh, you saw it. Um, Dick certainly enjoys watching her, uh, watching her move through the house, and uh, you know, admiring her skill. She's tough. Who taught her the toughness? <laughs> well, you know, she is, but she's not around her family. It's, it's kind of a transformation when she becomes this. Uh, person who can be stern with uh, with people who are uh, uh, acting foolishly. And uh, so, you know, that's part of her. But the other part is that she's an amazing mother um, and an amazing daughter, as my other child, Mary, is too. She, Mary has wonderful children and uh, uh, is just a great uh, source, resource to me, a great resource and uh, comfort as children should be. There are no favorites. I get it. I understand it. Uh, And lastly, how is the former vice president got the new heart? I saw him a little while ago. He looks great. What is it like? I mean, does he does he have the energy of a 21 year old? (laughs) Well, I think when he got this dog, he thought he did. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's all on you. No, no, no. He's in charge of getting up in the middle of the night and, uh, you know, taking the dog out and feeding the dog. Um, but I do think it takes up a lot more of his time and energy than he thought it would. But right. he loves his dog, and I do, too. His name is Max, and he couldn't be cuter. I understand. Um, it's called it's called the Virginia Dynasty, Four Presidents, and the Creation of the American Nation. It is excellent, and it's great. As soon as I start your books, I, next thing I know, I'm done with them because they're so important, too. Uh, and you could follow and find well, out more I- at Lynn V. Cheney. Um, Ms. Cheney, can't thank you enough. Well, Brian, I just want to congratulate you, too. One of my favorite books is uh, The Secret Six about Washington spies. Now, just, I mean, your books are all well done, but that is my favorite, and I just wanted to congratulate you. Yeah, that took, uh, it was 20 years in the making. But, yeah, and we're still <laughs> finding out new stuff, and we're going to do a special on Fox Nation on that. And you should do that oh, on this. Great. Yeah, you should You should actually do that because I think people need to see this. Um, in okay. The, well, anytime. You <laughs> got it. And next time I will be in a room locked up without a puppy. Right. And maybe face-to-face like the old days when we could do interviews like that. 
Stay safe. Wouldn't that be thrilling? Yeah, and stay healthy, okay? And have a great yeah, Thanksgiving. You too. All right, thanks, oh, Ms. Cheney. You too. You got it. Oh, bye. All right, uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Nicole Sapphire is going to be with us at the bottom of the hour to give us updated on the coronavirus, the challenges this holiday year, and the restrictions that are oppressive, as well as the vaccines. Also, Michael Goodwin in a matter of moments. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Tony Blinken had long been considered a front runner for the Secretary of State position. He's been working with the president-elect on global issues and previously served as Deputy Secretary of State during part of the Obama administration. Yeah, the Biden team begins to roll out a foreign policy and their positions will be front and center. They were never examined during the election season. The pushback he's already getting and a warning shot from China, which I hope he does not heed, and their offer for a new relationship, which I hope he does not take. Number two. The conduct of the president's legal team has been a national embarrassment. I've been a supporter of the president's. I voted for him twice. But elections have consequences. And we cannot continue to act as if something happened here that didn't happen. Uh, That is 100% true. Trump's legal attack and election results are about to hit a certification brick wall as legal losses pile up and Sidney Powell is dismissed. It's time to begin the transition and for the Trump team to think 2024. Number one. In Los Angeles County, starting on Wednesday, restaurants will be open only for pickup or delivery. The business has already been devastated with many restaurants closing or cutting employees' hours. Uh, Unbelievable, right? COVID-19, it's a story we know too well. A lot of hope and a lot of hate. The hope is clearly vaccines. Now a third option queues up to hit the market and first shot could be taken in two weeks. Hate? Nationwide haphazard restrictions are killing businesses, lifestyles, and people. And the virus is raging. Not the combination we are looking for. And with me right now is uh, Michael Goodwin. Michael, um, we're with this. Uh, we're talking today. And guess what? Governor Cuomo, the Emmy Award-winning Governor Cuomo, is about to up restrictions in Staten Island, Upper Manhattan. He already sends kids, kids home from school as well as Long Island. Why are they just afraid to use the word lockdown, but they're locking us down? In California, ridiculous. Everything locked down. School's not in. Outdoor dining is now out. Indoor dining, of course, is out. You can't do anything. Why are these people getting away with this? Well, uh, it's a good question, Brian. Certainly in in New York State, the legislature, uh, before it you know, taking a break from doing nothing to do nothing, it basically granted the governor unrestricted power uh, 
in terms of the use of civil laws. And so he is actually free legally to do pretty much everything until a court stops him. Uh, the legislature will not step in despite repeated calls. I mean, it did this now back in March. So despite then, uh, it has not stepped in. You've heard nothing from the legislature on any of this. They have let the governor have free reign. And, and as you say, be he's of gone themselves. too far. He, he's just gone too far in many cases. There's no distinctions made. There's no carefulness about any of this. It's kind of a broad brush, whole neighborhoods, whole kinds of businesses throughout regions, uh, of course, churches uh, restricted. There have been lawsuits over that. But the only re- relief anyone has gotten is through the courts. And so that that is unfortunately the way these governors are playing it across the country in many cases. So listen, President Trump was 100 percent right. He said kids got to get back in school. They said, how dare you say that? You're not a scientist. Well, now they realize it's the safest place for kids to be because the election's over. One of those doctors, Tom Inglesby, on when Fox News Sunday, despite the fact that New York and California, New York and California have closed and countless other places like Pennsylvania. Cut 11. The pressure on hospitals is the highest it's been since the beginning of the pandemic, with about a thousand hospitals reporting this week that they are critically short on healthcare workers or will be very soon, and that number will grow this week. So it's a very, very serious moment for the country in terms of this pandemic. It's hard to have universal rules. I, I don't think we can go that far, but in places where they've put mitigation procedures in place and community transmission in that particular school district is relatively low. I do think those are safer environments. The problem is that now we are seeing transmission levels across the country that are higher than they've ever been since the start of this pandemic. So we are kind of entering in uncharted territory in many places. Everybody's, all these doctors are saying, especially first to eighth grade, let alone high school, you, you send them home to not do work, 60 minutes of this big special. Nobody's showing up for these Zoom classes, and they're not learning. You can't tell a third grader to sit in front of a computer and learn from a teacher he or she hasn't met yet. You know, Brian, I, I think that this goes to the heart of how we have approached this. We've approached this as though it is the only issue to deal with without any regard to to the, the health and well-being of children, that they've got to learn, that, that their minds require it. Uh, we've, we've done it without regard to businesses, w- without regard to really the, the future at all. It's all about this moment. It's, it's a kind of single focus on one issue. And that's a very important issue. But nowhere in our society do we do that. We, we don't allow that in anything. We, we take various values into account when we're making these decisions. This time, we've only taken one value into account. And even Governor Cuomo, despite all of his mistakes, has admitted that we've learned a lot since the beginning. For example, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio struck an agreement with the teachers union that any time the city as a whole reached a 3% positive on testing, he would shut down the schools. Well, as Cuomo has rightly pointed out, we now can make distinctions. So the positive testings in the school was less than half of 1%, even as a city itself was around three. And it, to say that that this is scientific is bunk because there's no, uh, 
there's no special way about the testing. It's whoever comes in for a test. You basically self-select for a test. The city collects all that data and says, well, it's over 3% shut down the schools. That doesn't make any sense. It's not. People in the schools are not getting sick. Why are we shutting down the schools on the basis of these unrandom tests? Wait a second. I think we have the key here. The teachers want to work. The The union doesn't. And the union is putting these oppressive 3% strictures on the surrounding area. The school itself is under 2, which is still, the youth, it's more in danger of a regular virus. This more serious for, an, uh, for a senior, I get it. But we understand the rules now. If you have MS, if you're coming off cancer treatment, if you are a senior citizen, you know if you're more in danger. If you're an eight-year-old going to third grade, you are not in danger. If you have the virus, you understand how to deal with it. This is unbelievable. And they say they know they can't use the word lockout. Lockdown. But they do it anyway. They just don't use the word lockdown. In California, they showed up in Huntington Beach and they just protested this anti-curfew. The same thing. They went outside the mayor's house in Los Angeles, did the same thing. In Buffalo, New York, they told the health inspectors to go home. They're not paying attention. They're going to stay in the bars. People have had it. Vaccines are here. Why not find a way to keep these places open rather than collect your paycheck, Mr. and Mrs. Politician, and oppress us? Well, that's exactly right, that that there is no consideration of the uh, side you know, the side impacts to all those other people. Uh, I mean, I was just watching Fox a, a bit ago, and, and Sandra Smith was interviewing a, uh, a restaurant owner, and he was talking about when you when you shut down a restaurant, you're affecting the delivery company, oh, you're, yes. you're affecting the farmers, the fisheries, every every source of of the food that comes into the restaurant is now impacted. So there's a trickle-down effect on all of these decisions, but they're made as though that they are the only value that matters. But, you know, all these reports, Brian, of, uh, of uh, domestic violence, of suicide, of sure. depression, all of these are important values, too. And But th- this is what happened to our society in many ways. We become singly focused on one thing only, as though it's the only thing that matters. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not an adult way of looking at things you know the the idea of the what is that the definition of maturity or or rationality is be able to hold contradictory thoughts in your mind at the same time i mean that's what we have to do we have to look at the whole playing field not just this one metric of how many tests are coming back positive real quick i wanted to cover this which you cover in your column as much as you know there are irregularities in this last election as much as we know mail-in voting changed everything and the president knew it. Uh, It seems pretty clear his legal team is not making any progress. 24 suits in 36 states. They've lost every almost every single time. They say they have more proof, but I have not seen it yet. Uh, What do you think the next step for Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis should be now that they've kicked out Sidney Powell because she was too wild even for them? (laughs) 
Yeah, that was pretty extraordinary, some of the claims she was making. But they, I have to say they're not that far off either in terms of the things they are seeking. And, and I thought the ruling in the Pennsylvania case uh, was instructive in that the judge basically said, you want to invalidate 7 million voters on the basis of the affidavits and the evidence you've submitted. And I think his message was pretty clear that you're not going to be able to do that. You can't re-vote. You can't throw out all the votes in Pennsylvania based on your evidence. That is a draconian uh, solution that you're seeking. And so that case, they're going to apply now to the Supreme Court, try to get that case in there. But I think that's that's the big problem here. The the, the uh, lead that Joe Biden has in these states, particularly big. Pennsylvania and Michigan, is too big to overcome with the normal remedies, uh, even if there is some flaw in the way it was done. And, and I, I grant that I believe there was in Pennsylvania, particularly on the way different counties allowed voters to correct or cure their ballot mistakes. Uh, that How do you fix that? How do you compensate for that? And that's not so easy when Biden's got, uh, what is it, 60,000-vote lead or so in Pennsylvania. I think it's 100, 150,000 or so in Michigan. Yep. Those are big things to correct. And uh, the, uh, the other states were smaller. Look, look at Georgia. Remember how Georgia, they found thousands of ballots that weren't counted? So in the end, Biden's lead shrunk from over 14,000 to over 12,000. So they did a hand recount. Now, I know there was another suit pending in Georgia. So it's the size of the leads uh, versus the possible solutions to that that the legal team is demanding that I think makes us a bad fit. And and the other point, Brian, that, that I make in my column is that I think public patience will run out very soon. Uh, it, 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 you know, there is a growing feeling. It's time to get on with it. Uh, we, we have to accept these results. I don't like these results. Uh, I voted for President Trump. But uh, I think it, absent compelling proof that the courts can accept that, that something was done here to change the results, uh, in such a dramatic fashion, I think it's very hard to continue down this road and not have the entire public turn against the president. And that will have effects, I believe, in the Georgia Senate races if the president goes too far. No question. I just hope that Rudy Giuliani's telling them the truth. They're friends. And if he keeps telling the president he has a chance, the president's not a quitter. But I think you need sober minds. Like Chris Christie said what he said. Uh, basically, listen, I'm all for it, but there's no case here, and they're embarrassing the president with these cases. And that's exactly what's happening. And with Senator Pat Toomey was also instructive. She said over the weekend, the longer this goes on, the less people will be focusing on everything that you accomplished in four years and what you could accomplish in four years. Kids needing back need to get back to school. The president said that. He's 100% right. The president gave press access 24-7. Joe Biden's got a list. Will not even take a tough question from a friendly outlet. The vaccine is ready. They said the president was lying. He was 100% right. They said the president couldn't win over Hispanics. He actually reestablished Hispanics with the Republican Party without pandering, but by just uh, using his policies. I can go on and on, but... Uh, Final thought, Michael, as we wrap up. 
No, look, I completely agree with what Toomey said and what you're saying, Brian, that, that there's a lot at stake here. And uh, the Republican Party has been recreated under Donald Trump. And millions upon millions of people voted for him uh, because he helped. He kept the peace and he helped restore the American dream for, for those people. Uh, and I think if, if that is lost in this final thing, if the Democrats take the Senate by winning two seats, those two seats in Georgia, then I think the entire legacy of President Trump will be different. You'll have now Biden appointees going onto the courts because they'll have a majority in the Senate. So it doesn't have to be a big majority. Uh, you'll have all of the left-wing policies in play because they'll have narrow majorities in both houses. So the president, I think, really needs to be careful. His job is not done yet. There's still more to do. And I would not put all of my chips on these long shots of winning in these court cases. I think there are other things that are Absolutely. important, too. Gotcha. Michael, thanks so much. Always enjoy reading your columns, especially now. Uh, uh, to get a perspective because the emotions are so high. Uh, Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, I got to tell you, we got a third vaccine. She's going to give us the details. Uh, and then we're going to take your calls, one 408 7669 Every line is jammed. Michael, hang, When Michael hangs up, we'll get his line open. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. They may have arguments, but not the evidence and they're not going to win on retail challenges here and there. They're only the only chance they have of winning, and it's a, a perfect storm, and it's very unlikely to happen, is if they can show retail, wholesale, constitutional arguments that affect a large number of voters sufficient to be greater than the margin of victory. I don't think they're there. That is Alan Dershowitz, who really spelled it out in great detail, almost like a clinic, about all the issues, sympathetic to the issues of the Trump campaign. But you just legally, it's not there. So it's you have instant play. You have uh, you have instant replay. But even on the instant replay, it's still not allowed. Uh, Marty, listen, W.H.I.O. Hey, Marty. Good morning, Brian. How are you today? Good. Hey, uh, the, the thing that I think. Where I'm really disappointed in you and a lot of the reporters is we're never going to be able to prove the voter fraud if we don't look at all the ballots. Let's face it. There were ballots that came in, the, the ballots that were passed in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, ballots that came in with no signatures, Biden only on the ballot. Let's look at those. And They're the recounting in Wisconsin. They're recounting uh, in Georgia again, and taxpayers are paying for it, which they're not going to like. It's not going to help them in Georgia. And then they're trying to go to the courts to make a case to recount certain districts. And they're trying to get in um, Wisconsin. They paid for two, one of which was Milwaukee. They're trying to get Philadelphia recounted. So they got to go county by county. There's official. There's got to be a reason to do it. A lot of them are run by Republican districts. So unless Republicans are sleeping at the wheel and didn't inform the Republican Party that there were problems, 
You can't do it now in a week. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Our plan is to be able to ship vaccines to the immunization sites within 24 hours from the approval. So I would expect maybe on day two after approval, on the 11th or on the 12th of December, hopefully uh, the first people will be immunized across the United States. Across. So that is a little uh, from the Pfizer CEO, Dr. Monkeef Saloui, and I'm sorry if I screwed up his name, but man, he did not screw up his vaccine research. He's the head of uh, Operation Warp Speed, and he is saying how excited he is that he's able to bring this within the first two weeks of December. But is that reality? And what changes when this begins to happen? And who's going to get it first? Let's go to Dr. Nicole Sapphire for all those questions and more. Dr. Sapphire, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me. A lot of, uh, a lot of moving parts here. First off, uh, on the Pfizer vaccine, two shots, three weeks between them. Who gets it first, and who do you hope gets it? For uh, who do you hope is in the tier of priorities? You know, there's been a lot of talk as to who gets it first, and it sounds like um, across the board, the drug companies are saying health re- uh, healthcare workers are going to be first in line. As you can see across the United States, there are healthcare systems that are suffering from um, shortages, as we have a lot of healthcare workers who are falling sick. So that does seem to make sense. And one of the biggest issues that we had during the spring was to not overrun our hospital systems. So by making sure that our healthcare workers are healthy and immune to this virus, that'll keep us being able to keep our hospitals open and take care of patients. From there, they mentioned going to some of the vulnerable, some of the elderly. Um, you know, but our, these companies are guaranteeing 15 to 20 million doses by the end of 2020. I mean, that's unheard of. This is incredible. It is. And, and if you think about that, obviously, you guys should get it first. No question. Seniors should get it second. That makes total sense. The question is, what should we get? Should we think, so I'm going to wait for Moderna, the Pfizer? Are you intrigued about the Oxford AstraZeneca? Well, so let me tell you, Pfizer and Moderna utilize the same technology, the mRNA, and that that is a novel technology in itself. And they both are reporting about a 95% efficacy. I mean, that's unheard of. That is not what we were expecting for these vaccine trials. Um, You have AstraZeneca today coming out saying that their vaccine has about a 70% efficacy when you take these two data sets together. That's going to leave us in a conundrum because how can we offer something with a lesser efficacy to people when you have two vaccines that are saying 95%. Now, these numbers are going to wax and wane a little bit as we get more data in. But for right now, I mean, I, I wouldn't be waiting for any future vaccine. You have strong vaccines that are really outperforming and that have a low safety or have a, a great safety profile. So I don't think there's any room to wait. My opinion, though, while I want healthcare workers to get vaccinated, obviously our, our nursing home residents, our nursing home workers need to get vaccinated. We need to think ahead and make sure that our school teachers get vaccinated so that you aren't having these teachers unions who are shutting down the in-person learning. I would gladly actually give my vaccine to a teacher who doesn't want to work out of fear for COVID-19. I mean, we need to get our kids in school. 
It is absolutely insane. Did you see that study on 60 Minutes yesterday that they can't find tens of thousands of kids are just not showing up? 78 of the largest school districts in America could not account for 240,000 students. In Hillsborough County in Florida, they were missing 7,000 students, according to social workers. They go to Zoom them in. They're not there. Whether they choose not to be, they're not in their address they have, they don't have a computer. We're going to lose a whole generation of kids while trying to protect them from something they're not going to get or almost impossible to have a long-lasting illness from. Brian, you can't you cannot be a legislator or a policymaker saying that you are following the science and then keeping children out of school. It is detrimental to our society. And as you said, an entire generation of children are going to be behind because they're either getting subpar education or they're not getting education at all. And the mental and physical health detriments that come from this will be extremely long lasting. So here's Dr. Mosif Saloui about when this is going to start affecting our, uh, our lifestyle and getting us back to normal. Cut to. 70% or so of the population being immunized would allow for true herd immunity to take place. That is likely to happen somewhere in the month of May or something like that based on our plans. I really hope and look forward to seeing that the level of uh, negative perception of the vaccine decreases and people's acceptance increase. That's going to be critical to help us. Most people need to be immunized before we can go back to a normal life. So, and you're not shooting the virus into you with these first two, Moderna and Pfizer. You're, are you affecting the DNA? Are you affecting our, our genes? Well, so the way that the mRNA vaccine works is essentially you get injected with it and your body produces an immune response to that mRNA that is vaccinated in there. It doesn't get inserted into your DNA or converted to your own RNA. I mean, it does not do that at all. And, you know, there are actually some very promising studies that have recently come out, one from California, one from New York, one from Iceland, all showing that immunity to this virus can last maybe eight to nine months, maybe even even longer than that. So one, that's great news for the vaccines. And then two, that's good news for people who have recovered from COVID-19, which if you remember, there are far more people that have recovered from COVID-19 at this point than are being hospitalized or have died from COVID-19. So we are slowly but surely making our way to herd immunity. The May 2021 is, you know, that's an optimistic deadline. But in my opinion, I have always said that I thought it would be summer of 2021 before we really can start moving freely about. And the only way to get there is if a large percent of the population gets this vaccine. We truly need it. Um, and we have to get rid of any of the stigma associated with vaccinations, because the only way to a sa- only safe way to herd immunity here is if a large portion of our population gets vaccinated. Yeah, if we don't get if you don't get vaccinated, am I protected? So if I choose to get vaccinated, I'm protected. But if you choose not to, you're not protected. So is it really your problem then? So you go ahead and be locked down so I can go to work? I mean, are you really, you're making your own decision. Don't make me be punished for for their decision. Well, that's the problem, Brian. Um, Historically, we haven't been very good at making good um, choices for behaviors for us. Think about seatbelt laws, smoking, alcohol. For some reason, it has taken financial penalties for people to actually put a seatbelt on, that whole click it and ticket campaign that went. One thing that is of concern with these vaccines that's different with the AstraZeneca versus the Pfizer and Moderna. Pfizer and Moderna have not 
determine whether or not they can act, their vaccine will prevent someone from transmitting the virus. The whole goal of these vaccines is to prevent someone from getting sick from the virus, but it doesn't mean that they aren't contagious. They still actually may have the virus and then give it to someone else. They're just not getting sick. AstraZeneca is saying early interim data is suggesting that they have fewer asymptomatic cases for those who take their vaccines, meaning that not only does it prevent illness, but it may be preventing transmission as well. And that is going to be key because if you only have some people vaccinated then that and other people are not vaccinated, then that means there's a whole area of that population, those who choose not to get vaccinated, who are still vulnerable to this viral infection. Incredible. So lastly, Dr. Sapphire, how do you feel about these? We're not using the term lockdown because it's, you know, politically detrimental. But now everyone's basically locking down. They're destroying Manhattan again. Now Long Island is going to start getting restricted. Staten Island virtually locked down. In California, we're looking at a situation where the entire state's beginning to rebel. Uh, We know about the politicians and terrible example so many of them are giving. But what do you say to people who say there's got to be a better way? Eight months later, we're still doing the same thing, and it came back anyway. Europe evidently got it right, and it came back there anyway. But Brian, it's very sad seeing what's going on. I mean, I, I look around and, you know, my heart aches for for everyone, because, especially going into the holiday season. And, you know, there was, in my opinion, a misleading headline out of CNN this morning. Uh, they were saying how uh, Florida, after they did the executive order of opening everything up, that they have triple the amount of coronavirus cases there now. Well, while that may be true, Florida, however, still has a lower percent positivity and lower um, per capita uh, COVID infections than many of these other states, including New Jersey, which has some of the strictest lockdown measures. So it is it is crucial to kind of look at the behaviors of why and how this virus is transmitting. It is not so much about whether there are orders or not that exist. It's about behaviors. And you know, for me, it does seem that it is the, the indoor gatherings that is transmitting the virus. And unfortunately, that's one thing that probably needs to lessen. My favorite restaurant just announced this week that they're closing and they hope to open in the spring, but they just don't know. And so we have to do better for our businesses and for our children. Uh, yeah, I would think so, because unemployment and broke doesn't really help America either. Uh, so that's a bit of an issue. When I look at the fact that even in China, they lie. They still haven't told us about the virus. They still haven't told us where it started. But they was, uh, I saw a video this morning, Shanghai Airport. Everyone in there was told, you stay. I mean, only in China, the terrible government and their policies, they locked up Shanghai. They just like they locked down Wuhan. We'll never be able to do that. But when you, Dr. Sapphire, when you look around to these other countries, they're all in the same plight. Germany, France, Spain, Italy, Russia, outside Moscow. Uh, I think that Spain, excuse me, I think Japan and South Korea are currently low. Taiwan, all over it. Much different situation. But the rest of the world, Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, now Canada, they basically locked down Toronto. So please tell me who's got the right template. Well, Brian, unfortunately, we're at a disadvantage. If you are a small island with a small population, it's much easier to control who comes in and out. And by the way, when you do those strict travel measures, people aren't criticizing you saying that it's xenophobic. They just actually were quietly shutting down their borders. Australia still has massive restrictions. The United States, you know, we have people freely traveling, interstate, international. And unfortunately, you know, this is a highly contagious virus, and there's so much pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic spread. It's, it's nearly impossible to control it. 
for under people under 50, what's the percentage of survival? Under 50 is something like 98. Um, it's about 90. It, it's about 98. It does approach to about 99.2% um, in some populations. In between addictions and uh, the depression and the domestic abuse and uh, the, the foreclosures and the bankruptcies, uh, you should be able to give people the opportunity to maybe take a risk and save their livelihoods. It's crazy. Well, Brian, I do, yeah. do want to say one thing, and while I, I recognize everything that you just say, and I do believe that those are going to far outweigh that of the virus itself, you know, death is not the only metric when we look at this infection. There are a lot of chronic um, symptoms that are being reported from people who do survive. So while, yes, the far, far majority of people will survive this infection, it is still a serious infection and we want to keep people as safe and healthy as possible. Yep. But that is, requires a balance. It balances mental health as well as physical health. And, boy, we have, I think everybody agrees kids in school works. They're safer in school, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, that's not that's a political statement. Place of, that, that is the, one of the lowest cases of viral transmission is in schools. There's no reason for children not to be in school right now. Yeah, and I know so many listening to us right now, occur, especially in these big cities like the one we're in, WABC, um, and they're, they're hearing this and saying, but my kid's still on a laptop or an iPad today. Unbelievable. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. All right. When we come back, we open up the phones, one 408 7669 You don't have to agree with me. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of great people who disagree with me. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing from all of you. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Their strongest case, if they have the evidence, is that computers may have turned hundreds of thousands of votes. That's a wholesale argument rather than a retail argument. They can't turn the election around on retail arguments. One observer here, a few votes here. They need to make wholesale constitutional arguments. And for that, they're going to need overwhelming evidence. And I haven't seen it. And Alan Dershowitz goes into detail. In fact, I think uh, Eric and Allison wanted to kill me today because my sound bites were so long. But he makes so much sense. He doesn't take a breath. Number one, I couldn't think he could hear Maria on her show when she tried to interrupt him a couple of times. But he just makes perfect sense that even I can understand. He's like, I, he goes, I want to see the case. But right now, from what we know, I don't see the case. And when you go in front of a judge and if you're holding back, that, that doesn't go under any legal standard uh, that I've ever seen in court before. Gary, listen to WIBX in Utica, New York. Hey, Gary. Hello, Mr. Kilmey. What an honor it is and privilege to talk to you. Today. Well, I love your station. I was, I was up, did a lot of, been upstate New York a lot this, uh, this fall. Well, you know what? We really empathize with you guys down in New York. I'll tell you, when they start closing up Manhattan, something is definitely wrong with our governor. You know what, Brian? Let me tell you. Hey, let me, ju- let me just interrupt a second. They, inter- <laughs> they, they, uh, they hurt Schenectady, small yes. town in New York. Oh. They hurt uh, Saratoga Springs. They're beating up on Buffalo. Buffalo is finally rebelling. So it's not just the big cities. 
Yeah, I know, and, and and that's a shame, Brian. You know, and the teachers. I'm a te- I w- I'm a former teacher. Okay, I'm also a disabled vet from Vietnam, and I was a privilege to to serve. You know, but the truth will prevail. And the other thing is, you know, my son worked. Okay, I was listening to you and Mrs. Cheney. He works for Mr. Cheney. Wow. <laughs> He's been there about 15 years. So listen, the thing is, you know, Brian. The thing is, is the truth will always prevail, and it will eventually. You know, and through this whole election process, you know, it, it will prevail because uh, you know there's darkness, and then there's light. Of course, what what the uh, the scripture always said, and you know, in John 3:19, it says that uh, men love the darkness rather than the light, but the light, but the truth will always prevail. I know, and, but but uh, who's going to be? Go but if, the, if we wait for the right thing to happen. All these businesses are going to be belly up, and they're going to say, why did you let Governor Cuomo just rule like a king? Why did you let Governor Newsom rule like a king? Well, what, were the, what, were these, what were these Americans thinking? Just saying to themselves, okay, here's the keys to my restaurant. There's the key to my dry cleaner. Goodbye to my gym. And you know what? We both could be really psychiatrists for these clowns. You know what I'm saying? And they really are clowns, you know. And we got a governor, uh, you know. He he should just go ahead and uh, pack up his bag and uh, go overseas someplace because let me tell <laughs> he's you not something. going anywhere. Uh, he just got his Emmy. Thanks so much, Gary. Appreciate it. Alton W H I O in Dayton. Hey, hey Alton. Brian, how's it going? Good. What's going on? Hey, I I love listening to your show. I love listening to W H I O Wrestling Ball. Everybody. Man, I'm 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 lost. I feel like this uh, election was definitely stolen. I watched the whole thing till like three in the morning on election night. There's no way that they didn't steal this election. All these people coming out, thousands of people saying that all this was fraud and all the things that seen and all the laws that they changed. It's it's impossible. Listen. Uh, I understand, uh, but they did talk about all the mail-in votes were going to be going for the Democrats because the president said don't use it. The president won Election Day by a lot. In Ohio, they kept saying to everybody it was too close to call. He won easily. He won easily in—I think he won easily in North Carolina, too. He actually won easier in Florida than ever before. Uh, and South Carolina, too close to call, wasn't even close. Texas, too close to call, wasn't even close. But Arizona, they knew there were trouble. And in almost every of these battleground states, he lost. But he's got to present a challenge. He's got to meet a legal standard. Rudy Giuliani has not met a legal standard that even Trump judges can get behind. So you could sit there and say, I know it's right. But when it goes to actually going out legally, they keep losing. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. Man, so many times on these shows you talk about generic. uh, Maybe you talk to some authors and you try to round out what's happening in news and try to reflect back on 2020. Forget it. 
We are still knee-deep in an election that is not over. Listen, there are, seat, there are House seats, many of which are going to go to Republicans, still up for grabs. One of which is actually on Long Island. I think Lee Zeldin has a like a 16-point lead. They haven't declared it for him yet. And this guy, Andrew Garbarino, is supposed to do for uh, Peter King. I'm not sure if he does he officially get in yet. We're going to look into that, I guess. So uh, the Republicans are going to be within a whisker of taking the House back and retiring Nancy Pelosi for good, which is a American dream. And that is putting America number one. The other good news is today, also we're talking about an election. The president still thinks he's got a, a way forward here. Uh, Joe Biden is moving forward, hopes to get some financial, uh, some money for the transition. We're going to discuss that in detail. But today is the day the White House Christmas tree comes and is greeted by the First Lady. It's got to be 18 feet, 5 inches high. And uh, the president will have his last Christmas party. They're always a little bit different. I'm not sure if uh, unless he can find a way to get four more years. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Tony Blinken had long been considered a front runner for the Secretary of State position. He's been working with the president-elect on global issues and previously served as Deputy Secretary of State during part of the Obama administration. Uh, That, of course, uh, Tony Blinken, the next Secretary of State, if Joe Biden goes ahead and becomes the next president. The Biden team begins to roll out foreign policy positions, will be front and center now this week. The pushback he's already getting and a warning shot from China, while I hope he does not heed it, uh, and their offer for a new relationship, a better relationship, is not taken on their terms. Number two. The conduct of the president's legal team has been a national embarrassment. I've been a supporter of the president's. I voted for him twice. But elections have consequences. And we cannot continue to act as if something happened here that didn't happen. Trump's legal attack on the election results are about to hit a certification brick wall as legal losses pile up and Sidney Powell is dismissed. It's time to begin the transition and for Trump to think 2024, in my view. What about yours? Number one. In Los Angeles County, starting on Wednesday, restaurants will be open only for pickup or delivery. The business has already been devastated with many restaurants closing or cutting employees' hours. COVID-19, it's a story of hope and hate. The hope is clearly vaccines are now a third option queues up, and they're going to be happening as early as December. Hate, nationwide haphazard restrictions are killing business and lifestyles and people while the virus rages. Not the combination we are looking for. So let's bring in Dan Henniger of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Dan uh, Cheers is deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Dan, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. All right, a couple of things. Uh, do you believe from what you've seen so far legally, not emotionally, legally, that the president really is in a dead end? Uh, yes, I do. He's getting very close to a dead end legally. Uh, his court decisions have been running against him. Uh, there haven't been any big wins. And you got to keep in mind that um, one win won't uh, put him across the finish line. He needs to turn three states to reverse the electoral uh, college results. So uh, he seems to be a long way from uh, getting three states to turn around. And the margins, you know, in in Michigan and Pennsylvania, that's the other thing about this. Back in 2000 with the Florida recount, the hanging chads and all that, it was 534 votes out of 6 million counted. Here, we're talking about uh, like 154,000 in Pennsylvania and uh, tens of thousands in Michigan, which would be a big reversal. And uh, it's, I think the judges are finding a hard time 
seeing a path forward to that big of a problem in these states. So, yeah, I think it's kind of reaching a legal dead end for the well, president. What I think gets to the president is that he really believes he was the better candidate. He had the better track record. He had the better. He wanted his report card out there. Of course, getting the virus at the end, the virus not going away, no vaccine announced till after the election. And the more you saw Joe Biden, he was a terrible campaigner. He just shouted this this whole time. His message was clouded because he didn't know if he was going to go way left or he was supposed to be the moderate he was in the 90s. And then the president really believes the mail-in voting was his undoing, which is unprecedented at this level in American history. So am I saying anything you don't agree with? Not particularly. I mean, I think, you know, I think the president came up short. Uh, I think he had a a terrific record. Um, You know, that was manifest in the, uh, I thought, quite extraordinary Republican National Convention uh, over four days. Speaker after speaker, women, ordinary people who had benefited economically out in the country, uh, minority, uh, black guys, women talking about what the president, the woman who had gotten uh, out of prison because of uh, the president's prison reforms. I thought it added up to a, a really strong record and uh, was sufficient to get him reelected. But there was that element out there, and it was pretty clear. It was, no one made a secret about it. There was a percentage of the electorate that um, felt they had had enough of uh, Donald Trump's persona after four years and uh, just wanted to step away from it. And I think in some ways that that was the margin for him. Um, And it was, I'm sure, maddening and disappointing after uh, a four-year record, which by and large was very strong. The coronavirus obviously was a big deal. Uh, I think the president mishandled the early press conferences on that. We kind of dominated them when people were just desperate for straightforward scientific and medical information, never got out from behind that eight ball. But, um, you know, Joe Biden in many ways lied his way to the presidency, saying that Trump was literally personally responsible for the two over 200 thousand deaths and uh, no progress had been made on the vaccine when here we've seen in the past week uh, brian 10 months to two maybe three vaccines is an extraordinary achievement so i understand the president's frustration with what has happened here to him but i think that uh, i thought pat toomey was on the money when he said for people to realize what you accomplished in four years and to focus on uh you have to step back and then to focus on georgia and then come back again if you want you know, Pat Toomey's retiring, but he said, yeah, come back. So I just think how you leave has everything to do with how you come back. Because Joe Biden, in my view, his policies are going to fail. Uh, his efforts to placate his left wing are going to crash and burn to the point where I think they're going to start bringing up Hunter Biden stuff in order to get him out and Harrison. Yeah, I think that's possible. But um, I think you're right. The first point that uh, the president, Trump, has got to think hard about uh, protecting his legacy. He does not want to go out uh, remembered uh, for this uh, failed confrontation. Uh, To have that legacy protected, he's going to, in large part, need those two Senate seats in Georgia, uh, because controlling the Senate will ensure that uh, the Democrats can't push forward 
uh, with Joe Biden's legislative agenda. Instead, they'll be protecting what the president has achieved. And if he intends to go forward to 2024, that's what people have to remember, not this mess at the end of the election. And I want to talk more about that. But here's Alan Dershowitz just laid, uh, laid out pretty logically what the president has left. Cut 20. They may have arguments, but not the evidence. And they're not going to win on retail challenges here and there. They're only the only chance they have of winning. And it's a, a perfect storm and it's very unlikely to happen is if they can show retail, wholesale, constitutional arguments that affect a large number of voters sufficient to be greater than the margin of victory. I don't think they're there. So, and he went through the whole case. It took about 15, 20 minutes, and I just don't see it. I just hope their Rudy Giuliani and company are not snowing the president to, to hold tight and hurting him long term. Yeah, I do too. And, uh, you know, there's one scenario out there that the president wants to keep his base. Uh, which has supported him from day one, wants to keep them animated. But um, the base has never been enough to put him across the 50 percent mark in general elections. It's always there between 30, 35 or 40 percent. It's not 50 percent. So he's got to think about not alienating permanently the 10 to 12 percent of the electorate that he would need to win again. Understood. And you write about that, too. And you're saying there's a lot to be happy about in the 2020 election for the Trump supporters. Look at the House. Look at the Senate. Look at the record 74 million vote total. It it validates what he did in 2016, which everyone erroneously said was due to Russian interference. That has been thrown in the street now. You can never say that again. Don't you agree? Oh, I do agree with that. I mean, you know, it's, it's amazing to me, Brian, how quickly people forget. So here's the president. He's in a rage over what happened. And you know, you got the media and the Democrats all saying, well, the Constitution, democracy, and we must preserve institutions, and he should concede. Wait a minute. From day one of yep. his inauguration four years ago, the media uh, mounted the Russian collusion narrative. Uh, and this is the media from A to Z in Washington. Stuck with it, stood with it for two years, day after day after day, platoons of reporters trying to report something that turned out to be untrue, drove it through the Mueller investigation, which came to nothing, then followed that with an impeachment. All right. And here's a president who has been under assault every day of his term for four years. Meanwhile, as we just discussed in the background, real things were getting done, significant accomplishments. So. You know, I have a lot of sympathy with the anger that's going on out there. I do agree it's time to move on. But just to pretend that uh, after four years, Donald Trump is single-handedly standing in the way of our democracy really is a little hard to uh, take at this point. I do, especially there'd be a full-blown investigation four years ago at this point he didn't even know about. Then he had that briefing by with Comey at Trump Tower. Uh, let alone trying to blow up his national security advisor. So this and they would not read him in as if he was a Russian asset. So instead of doing what they do with Hillary Clinton, uh, fundamentally, without getting too involved in this whole thing, they they said, said, hey, Mr. President elect, you got some problems here. There's some hooks to Russia with this Manafort guy and some Carter Page that maybe you could help us clarify. And then we could have ended the whole thing right there. But instead, they try to entrap him for the next six months. And these leaks to CNN and MSNBC were great for their ratings and terrible for the country. No one really cared then. But it just brings me to another element of this, the Durham report. 
Are your sources telling you that this might not come out? That's what I'm hearing. Uh, we have not um, heard that at all, Brian, that the Durham report might not come out. Uh, you know, people have noted that uh, Attorney General Barr has been quiet here, and uh, some think it's because he doesn't agree with the uh, election challenge. I think it's because he's trying to, if he can, cross the uh, T's and dot the I's on the Durham report uh, before they leave office. So I still have some hope that that will uh, emerge. All right, great. Um, so, Dan, well, I guess we'll see what happens in the next couple of days because the president's got to, uh, I think there's a Tuesday presser, then we got Thanksgiving. But I cannot imagine Rudy Giuliani just taking loss after loss without a major press conference to reveal his overall, uh, besides uh, some affidavits, which are legitimate. Nobody says these people don't, no one says things went well in Philadelphia or Detroit. But the question I think we both agree on is, is it enough to turn the election? And, yeah, and that's I, where that's we're at. Right. That's where we're at, and he's going to have to go into a courtroom and make those presentations of facts, not uh, inference, because judges don't make decisions on the basis of inference or theories. They want to see the facts. Absolutely. I can't thank you enough. Dan Henniger, have a great Thanksgiving. Same to you, Brian. You Bye-bye. got it. Wall Street Journal Zone, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. 408 7669 Keep in mind, at the top of the hour, I'm going to be on Outnumbered. Uh, I'm I think I'm I think we're all not in the same studio still, right? We're still in those well, yeah, we're still in separate studios. But I'll be on outnumber for an hour. And right now we're on Fox Nation. Back with your calls in just a moment. At the bottom of the hour, we go inside those these legal organs with James Trusty. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm a conservative Republican. I've worked for conservative causes, candidates, and elected officials for nearly 20 years. I think that these allegations are not allegations against Dominion voting systems. They are against our elected officials at the state and local level, bipartisan poll watchers, the very system that inspires the confidence that we have and the love of our country is under attack through these allegations. And it is all our obligation to defend the truth, to defend democracy. And that's what we're trying to do here. Michael Steele, principal of the D.C. firm uh, Hamilton Place Strategies, who's a spokesperson for uh, Dominion Voting Systems. Because, you know, the president and, excuse me, Sidney Powell, who was representing the president, is it now says Dominion is uh, bought and owned by other, uh, by other entities, uh, including communist countries, and votes are counted overseas. So he came on, Michael Steele did, to answer those questions about Dominion software. And that's what a lot of you do. What do we know about Dominion? We know that there were questions in Congress about it. We know that Texas didn't want it. But in terms of some of the questions that the president wants answered, here's what Michael Steele said, for example, on what his Trump's attorney said about allegations of vote switching once they were put into the system. Cut 22. I've got the facts on my side, and the president's attorneys will go on to press conferences, will go on TV and make these crazy allegations, and then 30 times they've gone to court, and they have not offered a scintilla of proof. So all I can say is until we would love to see any facts and evidence they have, thus far we have seen none. Uh, okay. So one of the scintilla of proof is the switching of votes and counting in other countries. Cut 26. This is a nonpartisan American company. It is not physically possible 
for our machines to switch votes from one candidate to the other. Let's be very clear. Our election system is run by local elected officials and nonpartisan poll watchers. We simply provide a tool to count the ballots and pr to print and count ballots. There is no way such a massive fraud could have taken place. And there are no connections between our company and Venezuela, Germany, Barcelona, Kathmandu, whatever the latest conspiracy theory is. I mean, it's pretty definitive. What we need is we need a attorney or one of Rudy Giuliani's 12 attorneys he's flying around privately with. To go and question them, right? I mean, so I'm listening to Eric Sean's asking good questions, solid questions, but he's not following up because, like everybody else, we're not voting experts. Cut 27. Well, it's physically impossible. Look, when a voter votes on a Dominion machine, they fill out their ballot on a touchscreen. They're given a printed copy, which they then give to a local election official for safekeeping. If any electronic interference had taken place, the tally reported electronically would not match the printed ballots. And in every case where we've looked at, in Georgia, all across the country, the printed ballots, the gold standard in election security has matched the electronic tally. So he's saying this. Now, what we, we could do is, is maybe we'll look up detractors that have somewhat of credibility and we'll play this tomorrow and then see, you know, what do they have a counter to this? Because they said there is no backdoor. It's impossible to trade out. But there is some things with this election in different places where people have a right to be upset, where only Democrats were able to look, where Republicans were kept away. But the question is, in each and every one of those states, uh, is it enough to change this or even get close? The closest was Georgia, and they knocked 2,000 off, but that's it. Now they want a third recount, but it's going to be a taxpayer's escape, uh, expense. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. They allege fraud outside the courtroom, but when they go inside the courtroom, they don't plead fraud and they don't argue fraud. If you're unwilling to come forward and present the evidence, it must mean the evidence doesn't exist. The country is what has to matter the most. As much as I'm a strong Republican and I love my party, it's the country that has to come first. What's happened here is, quite frankly, the conduct of the president's legal team has been a national embarrassment. I've been a supporter of the president's. I voted for him twice. But elections have consequences, and we cannot continue to act as if something happened here that didn't happen. You have an obligation to present the evidence. The evidence has not been presented. I, it's really hard. I, you know, there's a reason why Governor Christie is a great guest, because he's always candid, even if Republicans don't want to hear it. Uh, joining us now is Jim Trustee, uh, a f former Department of Justice, uh, U.S. Attorney, and welcome back. Jim, appreciate you being here. Sure. Thanks, Brian. What do you think of Governor Christie's assessment? Is it Jim Trustee's assessment? Well, it's in the ballpark. I mean, I tend to want to see how it plays out in court. I don't think that any of this should make people think that there's going to be a mock trial for media consumption before actual courtroom trials or courtroom hearings. So, yeah, I'm a little loath to jump on the bandwagon of there's zero evidence of any sort of fraud or any constitutional claim. But the clock is ticking and we've got some real challenges 
in terms of the president's lawsuits, uh, particularly on that, that, that pesky, uh, pesky notion of showing there's sufficient numbers to change the outcome. That's, that's going to be a problem across the board that uh, has to be addressed very quickly with evidence. Yeah, I mean, the one thing with the Dominion, I was playing that before, you know, we're not software experts, but they, they are staunch in saying that no one messed with these ballots, that it's impossible and it's not counted from other countries, and Hugo Chavez has nothing to do with it, one of which he's dead. Uh, 24 suits in 36 states have been rejected yesterday, Saturday, I should say, uh, in a scathing ruling, U.S. Attorney Judge Matthew Braun, a Republican and Federalist Society member in central Pennsylvania, compared the campaign's <laughs> legal arguments to Frankenstein's monster, including that the Trump team offered only speculative accusations, not proof of rampant corruption. So why bring it if you don't have it? Well, look, I mean, it's very easy to file lawsuits. It's not very easy in an expedited time frame to pull together your evidence. And so, look, they're struggling. I mean, that's clear. I wouldn't take it as a straight body count. You know, when you're making motions for preliminary injunctions, that's very different than a case on the merits. And frankly, as the tabulations have continued, these preliminary injunction motions start mooting themselves. So you've seen the Trump team give up on a number of them because there was just no time left for a preliminary injunction. So, they, again, they have to move very quickly. What happened uh, with uh, Sidney Powell does not bode well for the bigger claim of Dominion. And, of course, the beauty of the Dominion claim, if there's any reality to it, is that it addresses that notion of sufficiency, that, that it could change the outcome if you literally had algorithms or, uh, or fraud yeah. associated with the software that created the, the change in the uh, results. So uh, there's a lot to try to wait for over the next couple of days. But, uh, again, what's happening with Sidney Powell and the rest of the, the White House team is certainly not a good sign that the Dominion case is going to go anywhere. And, by the way, what do you think about the fact the fracture with Sidney Powell leaving the Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis team over the weekend, Sunday. Yeah, it's hideous. I mean, that, that cannot be read as anything other than a big negative sign. Now, it might mean there's a rift where they just think the Dominion part of the case has been overplayed when you start talking about, you know, Hugo Chavez and international communist conspiracies. I know Sidney Powell still says she's going to release the Kraken, uh, but it seems like the rest of the team felt more like release the crackpot, you know, that they don't buy it. They think they may have legitimate claims on traditional fraud or constitutional grounds. But again, the clock is ticking so quickly in the absence of depositions, of discovery, of being able to look into emails. Uh, it's looking increasingly uphill for you know the team proper as well as the Sydney Powell side. Jim Trusty with us uh, now. Uh, Jim, of course, uh, former federal prosecutor at the DOJ. Here's what Alan Dershowitz said about the chance. They, the president feels if he can get to the Supreme Court, he'll win. But the question is, what would the case look like and how would it change anything? This is what Dershowitz was saying. Cut 21. The Supreme Court's not going to take the case to give them a pyrrhic victory. They're not going to take the case mm -hmm. to say you're right on the law, even though the numbers aren't there to give you a victory. To get the case to the Supreme Court, they're sure. going to have to show that if the Supreme Court rules in their favor, as the Supreme Court did in Bush versus Gore, where there were only 600 votes separating them in one state in Florida, the Supreme Court will right. take that case. But it's not going to take a case to give them a hypothetical Pyrrhic victory. They'll only take the case of course. if by turning around the law, it will give them enough facts and votes to turn around enough electoral votes to deny okay. Biden the 270. So, and I think he was kind of referring to the fact that... Uh, Alito, Judge Alito had a huge problem with them accepting ballots in Pennsylvania after election. They on and after. And he's, they ruled 4-4. And he said, you know, if I get another look at this case, 
we think we know where it's going, but but why would that not line up? Well, because the math isn't there. I mean, the Supreme Court took plenty of beatings from Bush v. Gore, even if it's the right result. It's just not an area where they want to weigh in and be the deciding factor in a contested election. So they look at Pennsylvania. They've had an interest in it. Alito has had an interest in it. It looks like the Pennsylvania state officials didn't comply with segregating ballots. So there is a possibility of even the Pyrrhic victory of them taking the Pennsylvania case to kind of set aside state action that rightfully belonged to the legislature, but that wouldn't by itself affect the election. So there's got to be kind of a series of Hail Marys here, maybe Wisconsin ruling on state law, Georgia somehow changing its count, and Pennsylvania getting up to the Supreme Court. So that's, that's a lot to ask in a little time. So, Jim, what would, you, what would you do right now if the president said, hey, Jim, I just saw you on TV. He might do this, by the way. I just saw you on TV. <laughs> so what should I tell Rudy to do? What would you tell him? Oh, man. Oh, we should talk off air about all the jokes that flow from this. But uh, on air, I mean, look, you know, he, he picked his team. He picked a team of lawyers. He may have had resistance from traditional law firms and getting people that are experts in election law. I don't know. Uh, but I don't like to see, you know, whatever has happened in terms of this team breaking up at the last minute is never good. So there's some serious kind of personnel problems with the way that team is aligned. I think they have to focus on trying to get the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania, maybe winning on state statutory grounds in Wisconsin. And again, the math may not be there, but those are the most likely legal avenues to pursue and pursue quickly. What does that mean, state statutory grounds? Well, Wisconsin had a law that, that actually talked about um, absentee ballots. And if they are not specifically requested, they're not supposed to be counted. And at least I've read some some accounts that say there was you know, over 100,000 absentee ballots that were not solicited. So if that's true, and of course, getting bedrock facts has been really tough for these last three weeks. But if that's true, you might have a basis in state law in Wisconsin where you're not worried about equal protection claims or fraud claims. You're just saying apply this law to disqualify that 100, 120,000 ballots and change the election outcome in Wisconsin. Understood. I, I just think overall, it kind of bothers me that I'm getting tech, uh, emails every 20 minutes from Trump Pence team led by Rudy Giuliani that they need donations to fly around private to go ahead and challenge all these elections. I mean, people haven't we given enough both sides. Now, Biden says I can't get money to my transition money. Now I need money. I mean, <laughs> who does pay the attorneys for something like this? Well, look, sometimes the attorneys do it without getting paid because they feel like the recognition is huge. I'm not sure I would share that assessment in this case. But, um, you know, look, uh, if I knew I'd be hired, I, you know, I don't know where these guys come up with the funding. It is a uh, high stakes, high financial game at this point. But uh, it's going to play out in about the next week or two. And, and again, the biggest issue, I think, is whether Dominion is dead on arrival or if it's a real issue, because that would address changing the outcome. That would be something that's sufficient in scope to trigger some real judicial uh, interest. But again, got to have some facts. So the the principal of the the D.C. firm Hamilton Strategies, who represents Dominion Voting Systems, was on over the weekend to try to dispel some of the accusations thrown at them from Sidney Powell and company. Uh, Here's a little of what uh, this Michael Steele said about the poll workers altering votes. Cut 23. The tabulator has no unlocked thumb drive access, no unlocked USB ports. And remember, these are these are secured by local elected officials and nonpartisan poll watchers. Uh, there's just 
It's not physically possible to do what they're describing. The machines are what we call air gap. They're not connected to the internet. Um, it's just not physically possible. I mean, a lot of the accusations, they seem to take them on one by one. Is there, being that there were questions on the Dominion system in 2019 by the Senate, uh, the Senate Committee evaluating our voting systems, would you be mining this? Yeah, I mean, look, here's the problem, Brian. And I think you're touching on this in a, in a slightly indirect way, but the direct problem is time and discovery. You know, in normal civil litigation, which might span years to get to its conclusion, there's an extensive discovery process. You start pulling out emails between people at Dominion. You start pulling uh, people into depositions where you can really challenge them on their assumptions. And, of course, that cuts the other way, too. If there's people that say Dominion is essentially a, a fraudulent system to affect elections, you'll have expert testimony. You'll have insider testimony. None of that stuff plays out in an expedited basis. And when you have factual disputes like Dominion is putting on the record, that makes it very difficult for judges to grant relief in kind of a pretrial setting. So, again, I think it's going to be very uh, uphill to get such clean evidence that judges will act on it forcefully when you have likely disputes like what you just heard from Michael Steele. Jim Trustee, former federal prosecutor at DOJ. Uh, Jim, thanks so much. Sure. Thank you, Brian. See you. You got it. Melody, listener on KRMG in Tulsa. Hey, Melody. Yeah, hi, Brian. Long-time listener. Um, hey, I'm just really disappointed. This is not about recount. This is about an audit. And this is about, you know, voter integrity. And hey, if there's any, I mean, we spent millions and millions of dollars going after the president with the whole Mueller thing, and it was completely a lie. And now, as you know, Republicans are just going to say, no big deal, let's just be nice. I mean, this is one of the things I've even heard you say on your show. No, no, I, I've never said no big deal, be quickly. nice, but it's already been three weeks, and he, that, he's been unable to produce any evidence. That's the problem. And there is a certification process. Uh, you know, even though there was these little uh, flare-ups with Hillary Clinton's electors, a couple of them defected, they were just uh, – the, 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 the electoral process moved forward. They challenged. They recounted in Wisconsin. He got more votes. So he did recount in Georgia. They're recounting in two counties in Wisconsin. We'll see, we'll see what happens there. But have you seen something that's intriguing enough that you think could overturn this election? Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, just hearing the, the 400-plus affidavits of people who have said that they witnessed fraud – and if there's any question, I mean, why would we not go after it? Why would we not? Why would we lay down after watching everything that Biden and all of these people did, Mueller, all of that, this whole past four years that we've been through with our wonderful president? Why would we lay down as conservatives and say, no big deal. You guys just spent all of our taxpayer dollars on stuff that didn't matter. That was actually absolutely a farce. How about this? And but when how we about have this? Questions, how about this? If you want to buy some time. Provide money for the transition and and doesn't mean you're giving in, but at least let them say, all right, we're not letting intelligence drop or COVID uh, delivery drop. Thanks so much, Melody. Appreciate it. Uh, when we come back, we'll find out if there's more to know. At the top of the hour, I'm going to be on Outnumbered. Uh, that'll be on the Fox News channel. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's mouth to your ears. It's Brian Kilmeade. 18 to 20 is our normal normal Thanksgiving, 18 to 20. It feeds, you know, six, eight people, ten people pretty darn good, you know. Another customer asking for a 10-pound turkey. They're live animals. They grow just like me and you. I mean, you can't put the pause button on it and say, hey, you know, you're stopping at eight pounds. Sorry, buddy, you know. 
Uh, so welcome back, everybody. To put that in perspective. in perspective. Yeah, so that's a turkey farmer from Texas, and he's talking about how Americans are looking for smaller turkeys this Thanksgiving and just turkey breasts. But he has all these large turkeys because in normal years, people want these 18-pound turkeys to feed wow. their large families. And they're in a bit of a predicament with all these bigger turkeys. But, you know, they're making do, and they'll just sell more turkey breasts. But, you know— how the smaller Thanksgiving really rolls down to the turkey farmer. Incredible. I want to find out there's even more to know. Not that that's not, that's not enough. More to know. I guarantee you this is going to be funny. Ted Danson is returning to TV. It's NBC's new Tina Fey, Robert Carlock comedy called Mr. Mayor, starring Ted Danson as a retired businessman who becomes the mayor of L.A. He'll premiere January 7th. As long as it's not politically correct and talks about a whole bunch of green energy. Uh, unlike the hellscape that is our current climate, Mr. M- the Mr. Mayor will embrace the lighter side of politics and focus more on workplace dynamics. I don't know. It's going to be like the office, maybe. Uh, also matching with, uh, uh, with uh, Neil, I guess the mayor, our ambitious chief of staff, uh, Bella Lavelle, and director of communications, Bobby Moynihan. That'll be interesting. Uh, confident, uh, confident chief strategist, Tommy uh, who is Mike Cablion? I don't know, as, as the crew tries to get uh, getting things right for America's weirdest city. I think it will be funny. I mean, Tina Fey, 30 Rock was funny, right? It wasn't politically correct at all. Even though, like, you know, clearly, like, went a I little left. So. But it was funny. So, yes, I have high hopes for this. Uh, okay, Ted Danson again, gathering uh, cheers, three men and a baby cast for a virtual reunion. Uh, Dancing will be joined by Woody Harrelson, Rhea Perlman, George Wendt, Kelsey Grammer, Kirstie Alley, John Ratzenberger, uh, B.B. Newworth, and creators James Burroughs, Glenn Charles, and Les Charles for a big reunion. Did you watch uh, Cheers? I watched some of it, yes. Not religiously, but I saw some. Do you uh, think it was funny? It was funny, yes. But don't you think it'll be um, interesting, right? Like, Kirstie Alley's been so outspoken lately. Oh, yeah. On politics. And by the way, Ratzenberger's also a big conservative, back-to-the-jobs guy. We've had him on here a lot, too. Uh, Tom Selleck, Steve Gutenberg, and Ted Danson's co-stars Leonard Nimoy and 1987 film Three Men and a Baby will also reconnect. But Leonard Nimoy died, didn't he? You're asking the wrong person here. But the Isn't point- he Spock? Um, I don't know. I'm not, I don't follow all that all Star right. Trek stuff. But I will say what you said to me off the air the other day. They needed three men and a baby, right? Because it would take three men to raise a baby. Right. It, yeah, it's... <laughs> Yeah, that's sexist. How dare they? Next, average American expects to gain seven pounds this holiday season. Uh, they did a survey of 2,000 Americans. Really, 56% are using the holidays as an excuse to postpone their health choices. Uh, previous years, only 41% used the holidays as an excuse to indulge themselves. So people are just using anything for an excuse. They're also buying the Peloton. So they're also working out on their own, right? They are, but is this going to be seven pounds in addition to the weight people put on through the pandemic? That's true. That's problematic. That could be it. Six in ten Americans feel they deserve to indulge during the holiday season. Next, women who eat more mango may have fewer wrinkles. Researchers at the University of California, Davis, say eating just enough fruit can significantly reduce facial wrinkles in women. Buy some more mangoes. Right. Uh, also important, I think there's one story out here that I think is probably the most important. Um... What story would that be? It was the one about the Fountain of Youth. Oh. I can't recall that off the top of my brain. But really? Uh, it was about the high, uh, more oxygen can be, in, Isra- in an Israeli study, they said more oxygen can make you a younger. Well, that makes sense because if you don't have enough oxygen, you're going to die. 
Okay, here it is. Breakthrough oxygen therapy reverses aging process in humans. In a groundbreaking clinical trial, researchers from Tel Aviv University reveal that hyperbolic oxygen chamber can stop blood cells from aging in healthy adults. The study finds specific treatments using high-pressure oxygen in a pressure tank can actually make the cells grow younger. Remember, Michael Jackson was the first to use that. So we should do everything Michael Jackson did? Almost everything. Almost. Right. Uh, their findings confirm that high-pressure oxygen therapy is a more effective way of stopping and reversing aging. I'm doing this today. Right after Outnumbered. Back in a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.